0: This is the SBI Show. Hello everybody, I'm Ivis Galarcep and it is Friday, TGIF, I guess you could say TGI 2021 since 2020 is over and we can forget about that year. Um, I think it's a little late to say Happy New Year because it's almost the end of January but uh, I feel like I'm going to say Happy New Year for the whole year, well, at least the rest of this month. There's plenty, plenty to talk about on the American soccer scene. We have the U.S. Men's National Team playing their first match of the year. We have Americans Abroad News going crazy as the January transfer window draws to a close. And uh, and then we have, a, we have a guest. We have a guest for this episode. We have none other than U.S. Men's National Team legend, former captain, and now head coach, of the USL's Greenville Triumph, John Harks is joining us. Um, also, Jersey boy, and no, uh, it, it's not a prerequisite to be from Jersey to be on the show. Although it might seem like that, since I feel like the last three guests in a row have all been from Jersey. We had Matt Turner last episode, and uh, before that, we had Tab Ramos, uh, also from also from Carney. Um, before that, so I think the only episode we didn't have someone from Jersey was. Uh, the very first episode that we came back with where we had Bobby Muse and we had Mike Noonan and Bobby Muse, I believe is from New York. So as much as I feel like he has a Jersey vibe to him, I'll say, he's from New York, so we can't claim him. But, um, but yeah, we are, we're on a nice little run here of Jersey, Jersey, uh, guests, Jersey roots guests. So hopefully we can keep that going. Um, I, I think I can put together a pretty good list of people with Jersey ties to, uh, to to be guests on the next show. Actually, more than likely, the next show will not have a guest from Jersey. Uh, knock on wood, if all works out, we'll have a we'll have a guest or two that will be from one from the West Coast, uh, potentially one from the Seattle area. Figure that out if you can. Probably getting ahead of myself. Still haven't gotten it confirmed. But uh, enough about that. Let's move on. We have to start. With Americans abroad and Brian Reynolds, uh, by my count, it's Friday afternoon and he should be on a plane to Italy to finalize his transfer to AS Roma. Uh, the latest reports are that it will start out as a loan and then turn into a, a full transfer um, for, you know, ha- however logistically they need to work that out. But he will be sold to AS Roma and he will be part of their squad. By the end of this month, he has to obviously undergo physical and, and and pass all the tests. And you never know. You can never take for granted uh, when, an Amer- when an American fullback goes to Italy to complete a transfer. You never know. Knock on wood. It, it works out this time. But as we remember, Anthony Robinson, when he went to AC Milan... Uh, you know, it didn't work out for him, but hopefully knock on what everything works out for Brian Reynolds, and he completes his long, long linked move to Serie A. Uh, not to Juventus or Benevento, but actually to A. S. Roma, and that deal should get done uh by the weekend uh in time to, to close the window out. And another another fullback on the move, DeAndre Yedlin. Uh he is reportedly headed to Galatasaray. They they came back in with a third offer. Uh, to Newcastle and obviously Newcastle is not uh, they were they're not in the same negotiating position that they were in previously because of uh uh their issues with with uh, DeAndre Yedlin's uh work permit his visa uh his visa expired uh it doesn't seem like he qualifies anymore for a visa or for you know the UK uh, work permit so they have to they have to move him now so they've gone from a few months back they were des- you know they were insisting on a transfer fee, even though his contract expires in the summer. So they were being very at- Newcastle was being very adamant about trying to get some money out of a deal if they were gonna move Yedlin. And then what happens? Yedlin has- actually turns around, gets a chance to start a run of games, and he plays really well. And obviously that only in theory would boost his stock heading into the January window. But now with this whole visa fiasco, the whole work work uh, permit situation. Newcastle has to just get rid of him at this point, right? Because you know, if you keep him, you have to pay him his salary, and he can't play for you. So they they pretty much have to cut their losses, let him go where he wants to go. And Galatasaray has obviously been interested in Yedlin for a while now, and it's a it's a good move for him to make now. Uh, I don't believe he's gonna it's gonna be a uh, you know a new contract, but it should be he should you know go there for the rest of this year and head into the summer a free agent. And uh, does well in Turkey. Obviously, he already had a nice run in the Premier League here, uh, a good run of games to to really re-establish himself as someone that team should be be considering uh when the next summer, the when the summer transfer window com- comes around. So the the move to Turkey it's a bit of a temporary uh, situation, and then and then see from there what what will be available to him in the summer. And I don't think he's going to be light on options. I think he's going to have plenty of options, as I reported in the past. There were definitely, obviously, MLS teams that were interested. Uh, there was one that was interested and they are no longer in the picture now they've moved on and and made other moves but there's still some there's still a few teams that that have looked at him and obviously from a price standpoint paying paying a premium for a fullback is not something that's always happened in MLS you haven't always seen it but I think it it, teams are are a little more open to that now I feel like Ali Adnan to Vancouver really kind of set a new bar for for what teams are willing to pay for for a fullback and Yedlin, if Yedlin's going to come back to MLS anytime soon, he's not going to be cheap. He's going to be a, you know, a TAM player, a a high price player. So we'll see if, if he comes back to MLS. I think he, I think if anything, he's shown now in his recent games in the premier league for Newcastle, that he can still play at that level. He can still be a, uh, a good starting right back in the premier league. So hopefully he can do that. Hopefully, you know, he can sort out his, his work permit situation and visa situation to qualify, to be in there for, for next season for the premier league and if it's not the premier league i'm sure there are other leagues where where that won't be as much of an issue and he can uh he can continue to play in europe because i you know I, I still think he's he still has time he still has time in europe before he comes back to mls i think give him give him two more years in europe and then he can come back uh, maybe come back before or after the 2022 world cup It'd be a good time for him to come back come back home. And uh, the big talking point on Friday morning, uh, I'm recording this midday Friday. I originally was going to record late night Thursday night, didn't work out. Then I was going to record early morning Friday morning, and then everyone and their mother wants to call me on the phone, and I'm, I'm you know, my whole uh, my whole morning was tied up with phone calls, uh, and and then here I am, finally able to record. Um, but Aaron Long, the good news is that in delaying the the recording, I was able to. Uh, work on an article, uh, write a story touching on the whole Aaron Long situation. Uh, ESPN, and my guy Jeffrey Carlisle, reported that uh, Liverpool is monitoring Aaron Long. And and there were, uh, you know, multiple re- multiple reports started to emerge all over about Aaron Long and, and Liverpool. And Liverpool, obviously, with their center back situation, all the injuries that they've had, I mean, they've just been decimated by injuries to their center backs. So they need help and Liverpool's in a bit of a tricky situation because they don't have money to go buy a center back in a January window, right? That's one. Number 2, finding someone with, who's at a good enough level that you could put him on the field at Liverpool, uh finding someone like that but not having transfer fee money, how do you do that? How do you work that out? That's not easy to do and find a team willing to part with a center back that actually would be good enough to help you, right? That Th- that list gets smaller and smaller as you you, you take all those factors into account, into account. And when you start to do that, who comes up? Who shows up on the list, and who can be on that list? Aaron Long. And why Aaron Long? Well, for one, he qualifies for a, a UK work permit. He's he's gotten the requisite number of, of appearances with the US men's national team. He's been a regular starter for the US men's national team for for a couple of years now. Uh, that's one. Number two, he's a veteran. He he's not gonna you know he's not gonna get overwhelmed if you put him on the field in a premier league, you know, he's, he's, he's played in, in big matches. He's played in, uh, you know, gold cup final. He's played for, you know, for the U S national team against some high level competition. And, uh, you know, he's a pretty poised player and, and, and more importantly, he's a good defender. And I know, um, he's, so he's been linked to premier league teams in the past. He's actually been on the radar, uh, for premier league teams going back to 2018, which was really his breakout year he was MLS defender of the year he helped lead the Red Bulls to a supporter shield that year and West Ham United widely reported uh to want him and to try to you know they they made a real bid a bid for for Aaron Long and and the Red Bulls clearly they had a price tag on him that was prohibitive and and teams weren't ready to pay that and obviously it's it was a the the issue with Aaron Long is he was a late bloomer so when he really came into his own he was already 25, 26, when he really started to kind of just emerge with the national team and emerge with, with with the Red Bulls. So 25, 26 at that point already, you know, in terms of transfer value and resale value calculating in, he wasn't going to generate the kind of transfers that maybe the Red Bulls would have wanted, and that's why a transfer didn't happen. But teams definitely wanted him. And so it's not it's not as if he wasn't already a Premier League caliber transfer target he has been um now the issue with aaron long obviously in 2020 he had a bit he had a bit of a a, a setback year or a bit of a down year and to be fair it was a, I, I thought it was the, the first half of the year with the bubble uh when they came back when we came back from the pandemic uh, you know he his form wasn't at its best there right and even in tw- even the year before that in 2019 you could argue that he had taken a step back compared to the 2018 season when he was dominant and and part of that you, you got you have to think was also being a little disenchanted with not being able to move right because we all know he wanted to to move we all know he wanted to go to Europe and and it didn't work out for him and uh, not just West Ham I, I, I seem to recall Southampton was another team that I believe was interested in him um, I could be wrong about that but that just popped into my head that I seem to recall that but there were multiple teams that were that were interested in him but it didn't. It didn't work out. Now here comes Liverpool, desperately needing centre back help. They have a rep, they have a history with the Red Bull organization in terms of uh you know in terms of having made deals with Red Bull Global before. They bought Nabi Keita from from uh, from the Red Bull setup. They, then they bought uh, Minamino Takumi Minamino from Red Bull Salzburg more recently. And who played? Who did t- uh, Minamino play for at Red Bull Salzburg? Jesse Marsh right? And who does Jesse Marsh know more than maybe any other coach? Aaron Long. So if if you're Jurgen Klopp, you need a center back. There are there are, are not many bargain, quality bargain center backs available, but Aaron Long is one of them. You're going to get on the phone to Jesse Marsh and say, hey, Jesse, what can you tell me about Aaron Long? And what do you think Jesse Marsh is going to say? Jesse Marsh is going to say, listen, if you need a stopgap, Option. If you need a veteran who can you can plug in there, who's tough, who's athletic, who's a great one-on-one defender, who's not going to be overwhelmed, who's an adequate passer, absolutely. Go get Aaron Long, especially if all you have to pay is his salary for the rest of this season, right? For however many months, three, four months that it is is gonna be of the Premier League season. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you do that? Jesse Marshall will absolutely vouch for Aaron Long and him being able to handle Jumping into Liverpool, and again, he doesn't have to start for Liverpool. But he, if he, if he is one of their options on the bench, um, so they, so they don't have to necessarily always start con- uh, Fabinho and Jordan Henderson, and uh, you know, a- as their center backs, two midfielders who've had to play center back. So you know, from that, from for me. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a no brainer if they can if they can pull it off and obviously the red bulls have to be the red bulls have to want to do it red bull has to want to do it and why wouldn't they want to do it right because I understand why they had such a high price tag on not wanting to sell him right because they felt like they you know he's he was such an important part of their team and that setup and they were getting rid of other players other key players that were you know older and they wanted to go younger Aaron Long was definitely one of the pieces they wanted to build around now here we are a few years later. And they have new a new head coach, a new sporting director. They just spent a good amount of money on a young center back in Andres Reyes. They traded away Tim Parker. Um, and Aaron Long is 28 years old. If you still think you can, you know, make some money on a good transfer, why not loan him now? Give him, give him an opportunity to show that he can play on that level if he gets some games, happens to get some games in the Premier League with Liverpool, plays well, all of a sudden, come the summer, you have to think the transfer offers will be better than they have been, right? Even though he's 28, even though at that age, uh, prohib- prohibitively, teams aren't, aren't breaking the bank for 28-year-old center backs. But if he shows he can play in the Premier League, uh, he, I think that'll that'll change things a little bit. So I think from there, if you're the Red Bulls, why not? You save money on salary. There's no guarantee the MLS season is even going to start on time. And right now, the, it's tentatively scheduled to start in April, right? So you're talking April at the earliest. We'll talk about the whole MLS labor situation at the uh, you know later in the show. You know, there are other people who who get deeper into the weeds on the labor situation. Uh, we over here do not do that as much, but we'll touch on it. But point is the season could be delayed. There could be a lockout. There could be a strike. Although I think it's lockout is what it's looking more likely with the owners locking out the players if they don't agree to a deal. But yeah, if you're if you're the Red Bulls and you can have him you can have Aaron Long go to Liverpool. You, Liverpool pay his salary, him potentially get games that help boost his transfer stock. It's it's where's the where's the loser there? Obviously the risk is an injury. That's always a possibility. We remember David Beckham uh, suffering a torn Achilles on one of these loan loan deals. So that's always something you have to think about. But, you know, when you talk about risk-reward, the reward can be huge because if he goes there, he happens to play, he ends up, let's just say, best-case scenario, right? Liverpool, you know, they continue to have these defensive injury issues. Aaron, Aaron Long goes over there. He impresses Jurgen Klopp. He gets an opportunity, plays well. Continues to play well. Keeps getting opportunities. And then by the end of the summer, Liverpool is like, you know what? This guy's pretty good. We'd like him. We don't need him to start. Virgil van Dijk will eventually be back. Virgil van Dijk will be the anchor of our defense next year. Uh, You know, Joel Matip will come back healthy. Joe Gomez will come back healthy. We'll get all our center backs. So maybe Liverpool won't buy him, right? But someone will if he plays well. Someone will absolutely say, "Listen, he played well for Liverpool. He showed what he can do. He's tough. He's he, you know he's a very good one-on-one defender. He's American. There's the American thing as well because that you can't you know even though center back like marketing wise center backs aren't the, you know the premium, but still in American you can steal you can sell some jersey. But he, more importantly, he can play. So if Aaron Long does that, then that there's that possibility of of, of then him going on a transfer. So the Red Bull should do it if it becomes an option, and it doesn't have to be Liverpool." I, I've reported uh, shortly, I want to say an hour ago, I in my, in my write-up about the whole Aaron Long-Liverpool uh, situation, I reported that I'm told from my sources that there are at least three Premier League teams interested, which shouldn't be a surprise because, as I said earlier, there have been multiple, multiple teams that have tried to buy him. So you have to think there will be multiple teams interested now in this loan opportunity if that is there. If Red Bulls are genuinely, seriously considering doing it, which they should, but if they're considering it, there's going to be a long list of teams because, as I've said, center backs are not easy to come by, veteran, reliable, tough, quality, defensive sen- uh, options, center backs are not available, especially not for loans, not for free loans. It's just You just don't see it, especially also eligible for work permit in the UK. That doesn't always happen. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I I hope it gets done. And whether it's Liverpool, whether it's West Ham, whether it's Southampton, whether it's, uh, and you know Fulham. Any t- listen, if he goes to the Premier League, I believe he can do well in the Premier League. I, Aaron Long, I believe Aaron Long can handle himself. Me personally, I think he can start at center back for a bottom table of the table. You know, bottom five, bottom seven, even mid table. I think he could be an option as a starter for you. Um, but I think he could absolutely start in the bottom. 5 6 teams in in the Premier League. I think he I think that's kind of where his level is. Uh could he be the fourth center back for a for a Champions League team? I think he's good enough. You know, depends on the style of play. Obviously his passing isn't his strength, but defensively he gives you what you need. Defensively he's good in the air. He's, you know, he can handle himself one on one, right? So that that's one he likes to defend and and so so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope he gets done. But uh someone another MLS player who could be on the move to England is Paul Ariola. and we all know Jordan Morris has joined Swansea City on loan, and then inevitably the rumors emerged about Paul Ariola. and Swansea City. Swansea City has considered Paul Ariola. and it's very much an opportunity. Obviously, they both have the same owners. I, t- I talked about this last episode about Paul Ariola, but my understanding is that there is another League Championship team in. Uh, interested in areola so that one bears watching it's that of these proposed uh, possible moves my understanding is that the areola move is the is the one that's furthest away from getting done so no one should just assume or no no one should already lock that up as ha- as him definitely going uh, uh to europe it's not it's not it's not a done deal yet by any means but there is interest which is good to see which is good to see and again he's another He's another player who benefits from qualifying for a UK work permit. Um, I know he missed a year with the injury, with the torn ACL. But actually, that, that probably works out in his favor because when you're talking about calculating the appearances, national team appearances to qualify for a work permit, once you get into the actual period that that he would be that would be used to determine Ariola's eligibility, he he absolutely ha- had the appearances for the national team during that time period. So. That works in his favor. So we'll see. Hopefully, best case scenario, the Reynolds transfer gets done. Yedlin's loan or whatever move to Galatasaray gets done. Aaron Long and goes to Liverpool or another Premier League team. Paul Arriola goes to Swansea City or another league championship team. And, that, and that'll be a pretty nice little haul there. That'll be a pretty nice little uh addition to a January window where we have already seen Mark McKenzie to gank. We have already seen... Brendan Aronson to Red Bull Salzburg. Joe Scali to, to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, so it's already been a busy uh, January. Uh, and they the this crew, if they can complete their deals, would just make it, you know, from as far as I can remember, probably arguably the busiest January I can remember for Americans. And that's saying something at a time when there aren't a lot of transfers because obviously there's not a lot of money with the pandemic situation and, and what it's done to, to club finances. So uh, it's exciting times, exciting times for sure for, for American soccer fans. Now, before we get into the U.S. Men's National Team and their upcoming match against Trinidad and Tobago on Sunday, uh, we're lucky enough to have a guest with very strong U.S. Men's National Team ties. We have a U.S. Men's National Team legend, U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, uh, New Jersey icon and uh, current head coach and sporting director of the Greenville Triumph. We have John Harks joining us from from North Carolina. Mister Harks, welcome to the SBI show. How you doing today?
1: Guys, uh, how are you, my man? Great to great to connect with you and happy new year hopefully uh, 2021 is a, yes. a little bit different than uh, yeah. what we just went through
0: yes hopefully hopefully it's better i'm, I'm i won't dare say it can't be worse because you never know but hopefully uh hopefully this one is is, is much much better uh now, now 2020 was obviously a, a rough year in so many ways you, yeah. you you had some silver linings in there in that in that you guys down in uh down in greenville had, had yourselves a pretty good season so uh just just tell me a little about just how 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 it's gone for you down there. It sounds like you you've had a pretty good time in terms of running the team down there
1: yeah it's been um it's been a great um you know a great project that we took on here and uh you know when I came on board uh in September two thousand and eighteen it was like building from scratch similar to what you know I did at Cincinnati. um and uh, but the ownership group and uh, the core values and the beliefs of what we wanted to do and be a club for the community. Um, they were true to it and it was, it was great. So it's been a great project. Uh, we have done well in a short period of time. We put a lot of work into it, uh, both on and off the field. I think, you know, during the pandemic, you know, look, I mean, if you, if you look back on the two seasons in, in year one, we get to the final and, uh, you know, we, we end up losing to North Texas, which is a MLS affiliate, you know, club with Dallas. And, uh, you know, we dominated the game and we just didn't finish in the final third. And that's part of it. So it's part of our growth. And we look at that, we reflect and we, we, we think about where we were in year one. And as we go into year two, obviously we have different plans and, uh, we didn't plan on having two separate preseasons where the league was shut down and the preseason was shut down for six to eight weeks. And, um, so it, it was difficult. There was a lot of demands put on us, and um, it wasn't a normal year. It was only 16 games that we're gonna going go through. Uh, we kicked off July 18th away in Fort Lauderdale. You know, part of Inter set up uh, the USL. Um, you know, representation club there, and we won two nil. But it was uh, it was difficult because you're dealing with fear and anxiety and, and managing a team, which is really hard. And you're going into you know Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that at that specific time Ives was the highest percentage spike rate of COVID in the world, in the world. And that's a heck of a thing to deal with fear, anxiety, um, guys with grudges, like what are we traveling for? What's going on? And so, you know, it's all part of it. And we got, we got through it. We were number one all season in this, this past year in 2020. And then we wanted to play in the, in the championship final. And, you know, Omaha, unfortunately, got 10 COVID, well, plus COVID cases, um, and, and called us the day before. And so, um, getting that notification, obviously we feel for them and the club and what they're going through and hoping that they're healthy, um, because it's difficult for everybody. But at the same time, we were looking forward to having that final, that championship, but it was given to us because we were number one all year and, um. You know, if we're a European team, that's what you do, you know, so, um, that's the, the way it played out. Um, certainly looking at the schedule now and going into year three and, you know, continuing to build our presence on and off the field and winning helps for sure, but getting the right guys in here the character, we did a retention rate, you know, uh, we got 14 players of our core guys back from year two. And, um, you know, again, it's just, uh, It's great building the culture, but, you know, you also know the most important thing is protecting that culture moving forward. So, uh, the club has been great. The ownership and the president, you know, Chris Lewis and everybody has been fantastic to, Help us, you know, give us the right tools to help grow this this game down here. So right, it's been right. a great challenge. It's
0: been a great challenge. Now, now, congrats, by the way, on the new the new deal that the, you just signed a, a new contract to, to keep you there for a, a couple more years. Now you're wearing the dual hats as as head coach and, and sporting director. How 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 do you feel like you've changed and improved as a coach over you know say you know head coach John Harks now to say head coach John Harks four or five years ago. Yeah, I
1: think, uh, well, I'm always looking to improve, uh, hopefully, Um, you know, you want that life um, kind of learning um, growth mindset, you know, so that you're always kind of adding to who you are and you're always improving. And um, I would say that I am, uh, I guess, thinking a little bit more clear and taking on more accountability of how we overall, you know, our image of the club, the way we represent our owner, the way we manage up the way we um every day you can't switch off leadership it's it's something that's constant on a a daily basis you know the, the way we create a safe environment for the players so um and in that safe environment you give the players you know autonomy and so now they can trust you and you trust them and you watch them grow and i think that's the biggest thing as a coach you start to learn more about it and you know through conversations with other coaches and you take the experiences I've had as a player and the managers that I've had, and you take a little bit from each of them, um, and you make it your own. And plus I went through the pro course licensing, uh, this year with uh, the U S soccer federation. And that was nothing short of uh, being incredible. It was excellent. And it gives you structure. Um, it makes you think, it tests you, it challenges you. And that's what you like to do as a coach. You want to grow. Um, so I've grown a lot for sure. And, um, you know, you're, you're always looking for ways of simplifying the game for the guys, but at the same time, I think having clear communication with the guys and having a a better plan of, you know, even just something as basic as macro and micro organization. how we, how we look forward to that. And the sporting director part of it is, is the way that our, I carry out um, year three, year four, year five, you know, the bigger picture thing and how that making sure that that aligns with the mission statement and the vision of our president and our owner. And you know, that's, that's, that's key. Um, because you want to make sure that, you know, the core values align and that we're, we're heading in the right direction, all of us. So, you know, you're always improving. And from my perspective, I think that's just a little bit more organized and, you know, giving some structure to the way that you teach, you know, in the game, you know, and uh, it's been great. It's been great. I've, I've loved it. I love, learning from the educational courses and uh, the pro course. Um, And then you learn more from, you know, you got the right people around you. You're only as good as the people around you every day. And then you learn to balance that between what we did last year and COVID, you know, work, family, you know, everything's important and the way that you balance that stuff as you move forward to become better at it as you get older.
0: Now, obviously, you know you'll you'll always be be known as a former U.S. men's national team captain. I'm sure you kind of keep tabs on the national team and, and the players. Uh, the, the national team's going through a bit of a interesting phase right now with with this impressive generation of young players. W- what do you think when you see young Americans playing at the Barcelonas and Juventuses and Chelsea's of the world, and and who? who who impresses you the most, or what player out of this generation do you, do you kind of find yourself like enjoying to watch the most?
1: Well, first off, I would say that we, we have come um, a long way um, in terms of not, not just really um, exciting young players, but more so, uh, I would think, uh, you know, we talk about the quality of a young footballer now in the States it's more of the quantity. I think there's more of them, which are great. And they're coming from everywhere and they're getting experiences, whether it be in the Bundesliga and um, the top levels or even the lower levels. Um, also in the English championship, we've got, um, you know, some guys in the Premier League that have had experiences there and throughout. And uh, now, you know, even like my son had done the United and the Scottish Premiership, um, getting different experiences there, which is fantastic. And, that helps helps them grow and it, it, it builds them out. And, and hopefully that can all kind of come full circle back again to Greg Berhalter and his staff that give them, uh, I, I guess, more choices, you know, to be fair, um, for them to kind of look at different players and see like the styles of play that they're learning at their clubs, what are the current trends with each of these as it goes from country to country. Um, and, and I just think it's it's fantastic to see that it's in a positive, like kind of healthy state of it, you know, whether it's a Weston McKinney, you're talking about it and making a big move and going to Juventus and then playing well and competing there or Christian Pulisic uh, that goes to, you know, Chelsea and, you know, they, they go through those ups and downs, you know, you know, Frank Lampard gets fired. Um, Chelsea have high expectations, whether it's right or wrong and you agree with it or disagree with it. It's, um, it's just the way that club is run. And so Christian now, is being reunited with Tutrell, um, Thomas Tuchel. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I think from, a, you know, from a... If you're looking at Greg Verhalter and the national team, I think they're in a pretty good situation, in a healthy situation to kind of say, we have a big net that's been cast over so many players that are getting experiences overseas and in MLS standing out. And it seems to be eyes now that the players are becoming younger um, or the, the education for them has started at an earlier age and the intensity levels are at an earlier age and they get what it means to be a pro at an earlier age, which is great. So, you know, the more that you check um, within with different coaches and the way they're grooming these younger guys um, and the way that you look at the feedback and the process that's there for these guys, I think it's, fantastic we have such a great potential uh to be successful with the national team moving forward and uh that's healthy for sure
0: now, now you definitely were one of the the pioneers in, uh, in terms of american players going over to europe and and, and playing in europe and uh funny you, you mentioned uh, frank lampard earlier obviously he, he was he was uh, let go as, as chelsea manager now you played with him at the start of his career right i think it was his, his first year with the first team at west Ham. with did you could you have imagined him as a manager eventually and, and did you know then when you're with him playing with him that he would go on to be the legend that he ended up being
1: yeah i think look you, you you know he was in the youth setup at west ham uh his father uh was my assistant coach um well not my assistant coach was the assistant coach at west ham with Harry redknapp at the time um they have a relationship there family relationship and uh you know, as I'm learning to be in that environment and learn from Frank Lampard Sr. and Harry Redknapp, you know, you, you look at what's the, you know, um, the players that are coming through the system at West Ham and that, I, I'm just a junkie for the youth players today. I love watching games at different ages and, and seeing that energy levels. And I remember seeing Frank, you know, uh, playing in the youth setup, and everybody, you know, talking about him and, this is the next, you know, big player that's coming through the system, and when's he going to get his senior debut and all that stuff. So it was an interesting time, you know. And you could look at him and say, "Wow, what a quality player! Very smart, understood the game well, um, and it obviously shows when you know you look at the leading goal scorer of Chelsea and it's Frank Lampard, <laughs> it's a midfielder. um, How savvy he was, you know, how he his understanding of the game at such a higher level is amazing. So. Um, his dad was a great coach as well. I, I got along well and was always trying to absorb the information from him and, and Harry Redknapp and as a sponge and take in you know, all their experiences, what they can do. And uh, seeing him as a manager, yes, I can always see him as a manager. Alex. And uh, even when he came to New York City FC, he and I had some conversations, you know, in preseason training and stuff when we were at the same uh, training grounds down at the IMG Academy and all that stuff, and he and I were having sidebar talks, and you, you could just see the way he played. You know, he was an organizer. He always thought about the bigger picture and the structure of a of a team. Um, so yeah, I could see him, and and I don't think it'll be long until he's managing again. Um, you know, he you take the ups and the downs uh, as a player as well as a manager, and. Um, so many different managers that I look up to and learn from, Bruce Serenas and Dave Sarkin's and Bob Raleigh's of the world, they're like, you're not, you're not hired until you've been fired, so you're not really a manager, and that's part of it. Um, so he'll get other opportunities for sure. He'll learn from the Chelsea experience. And, you know, he got Garvey to the E-Cup promotion final in his first year as a manager, so he's done fairly well, and it's something to build on.
0: It, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it uh, about the the idea of a you're not a you're not a manager until you've been fired it, it, it there's something to be said for that that kind of what the lesson that you learn from 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 those tough moments and those failures and and actually if you look at some some coaches now wh- whether it's uh you know Bob Bradley as you mentioned um or Caleb Porter uh who with you know Olympic qualifying uh, d- disaster of a few years ago. Uh, since then, he's won two MLS cups and and done great with that. So, is, is there something to be said for that? That sometimes you need, that that you know when you hit bottom, it it can maybe take you to a place that that you know you can bounce back from.
1: Yeah, I, I actually I definitely do think that because um, you know there, there's a lot of people that have had success in their lives, and um, a lot of that comes from you know, the failures, you know, the ones that actually learn from those failures and take that um, and use it in the way to go forward. Um, You know, it's funny when we talk about, you know, our players here at Greenville and, you know, the way we want to give them that platform to be successful. And we talk about how each of us off the field can be better. And, uh, you know, you talk about finding your truer self and it's removing the ego and it's understanding what your purpose is as a manager and, When you go through those ups and downs, you learn from them. And you know, you kind of, those are the ones that, you know, it's almost like you say, what makes a a manager successful? Well, there are going to be times where certain approaches in the game, uh, whether that be a style of play, um, the basic principles you have in the game, don't work with the strengths and weaknesses of your side in that, that particular moment. It just doesn't work. That doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. It just means it didn't specifically work at that time. And so you learn from that. And then you learn adaptability. If anything, in the 2020 year, we learned, and I learned that the manager is adaptability. That was the number one word. And you have to change sometimes. And uh, yeah, so, you know, learning from your failures is very important. That's part of the growth and and the building process of who you become.
0: Now the uh, the MLS draft was was uh, just last week, and uh, I was curious about your take on just where where college soccer kind of still stands in the whole thing, because obviously with the with the continued growth of MLS academies and European clubs coming in and taking young talent from the US more and more, there is that sense that maybe the the role of college soccer isn't what it once was. Now you obviously played, you know. You, played at Virginia and, and you came through that system. But now as a head coach slash sporting director, when you look at college soccer and kind of its place in this machine, do you, do you still see it having having a, a good, a, you know, important part to play in this? Do you still see it producing that kind of talent that can still help professional teams?
2: Yeah,
1: I think that there, there's a role to play for, for the college game and that platform for sure and the pro- professional setup. Without a doubt, I don't think you can – you know, turn a blind eye to it, and, and you're always going to find a little jewel in in, in, uh, in the rough. Because um, if you do your homework, and if you're diligent in your approach, and you're disciplined in the way that you can find these players, I mean, you know, look, you, you look at programs. Um, you know, you consider Wake Forest for one. You know, well, my son went there, and when Jada Beadovich was growing the game there, and was amazing if you always looked at those players you knew they had a discipline and a great professional approach every day and bobby moose came in and he's continuing that that trend there and there's a lot of players that got drafted out of wake that'll do well and, and you look at the acc programs and you look at some of the uh, the, the other bigger programs that are there and you, you know what kind of style of play and what kind of coaching they've gotten so you, you take that in you know not, not that you take that in and you say, like, these are the guys I'm going after, but there are players that you need to pay attention to and spend the time to actually make the scouting and, and do the work, and it's, it's important to do that. Um, so I do think, although it has changed that platform, and certainly during the pandemic, it, it has changed dramatically, and, and I think that it's eliminated the opportunities for a lot of college players, unfortunately, during that time to be seen and and to compete and go to combines and everything else. So, you know, it just puts more emphasis on the ownership groups and the and the, uh, the staffs of the club, the technical staffs of the club, to do their homework and and find these hidden players that are there because they are there, for sure. Right. There, there's quality players come through.
0: For sure, for sure. Now, and as far as USL goes, I, I, I was definitely uh, interested in, in your kind of take on the bigger picture of, of the state of the USL because obviously – uh, it, it it's such such an important piece to to the whole pyramid, and, and it definitely feels like it's taken up as hard a hit, if not harder hit, uh, than than maybe other levels of of the of the pyramid in the U.S. You know, how much of a concern is that for you that it, U.S.L. being able to kind of navigate through the this current crisis? Um, it sounds like you guys, in terms of Greenville, are, are kind of you know making your way through it. But what, how how do you see kind of U.S.L. Uh, you know kind of standing strong in that?
1: Well, I I think just as, you know, uh, coaches need to have, um, you know, a development plan, you know, for your players and the style of play and the principles and everything else, I think the league itself has to have a development plan or how they're going to – what their growth is going to be like both in the short term and the the long term. And obviously during a pandemic, uh, everybody's having economic issues. You know, clubs overseas are having that too. And there's a lot of clubs, I'm sure, that going into 2021 in the USL – whether that be the championship and you see examples of North Carolina FC, a club that's been, you know, at the highest levels, uh, you know, in terms of the way they run their, their club and division two soccer. And um, you know, they're going to be joining USL league one. Now, is that a step down? No, but is it a lesser fee? I and mean, the economic structure. Sure. It is um, just from dues alone. So it's like there's different dynamics and you get affected by that. And, you know, when you don't, when you have a, a uh, you put a budget out, and a strict budget, and then you look at it and you think to yourself, where's the revenue coming in over the last 12 to 14 months? It hasn't. There's only so much <laughs> you can sell from your store, your team right, store, right. and uh, you're not going to cover the basis of uh, your wages. I mean, even when you look at Scottish Premiership, clubs struggling, you know, um I don't barcelona like Barcelona
0: is whole... struggling they're, they're billion in debt right now so it's hitting, it's hitting... It, it's
1: amazing right Isaac? would you ever you you would be able to say that
0: no no that
1: there are a billion dollars in debt a club like barcelona and you take on the wage packet and everything else well this changes everything it's like you've got nobody coming to see your game there's no ticket sales there's and it's difficult and then when you break it down you're like, how do we continue forward unless we get you know, PPPs the loans or the grants or help from the government to continue that on? So there's a lot of discussion going on about the growth of the game in this country and how it's been affected during the pandemic. But I think USL overall, um, I think they've done a tremendous job of trying to grow and make it important and give it respect and value like it is around the world in the Division 2s and 3s and maybe even a Division 4 at some point, whether it's the USL League 2, and that structure that they've got going. Um, but I think they're doing a great job. I really do. And um, they, they've got to make it affordable. They have to adapt, obviously, um, with certain clubs and their budgets and the ownership groups, especially the owners. When you Like James Montague had a great book that he put out, The Billionaires Club. And it's a lot of ownership groups that get involved in the game uh, at the highest levels and they just throw so much money at it, but they don't have an emotional investment or they don't understand the history of the game. So when things like this happen, they're just, they don't know what to do. So it's like, how do you adapt and change your business model from the top down? And how does that affect soccer, but also your brand? Are you relevant still in your community? And we've always been a club that wanted, and that's why I took the job here at Greenville with our ownership group, Joe Irwin, fantastic person. He has a, an investment and a local investment in the community. And that's what a club should stand for. The sporting club should be a club for the community, first and foremost. And if you align with that, then that's great. Then you understand what your bigger purpose is. So, you know, if you can grow the game at the USL and the championship levels and also in League One um, and make it competitive and it's respectful, um, then that's fantastic. And I think the USL is trying to do that. Obviously, you know, it, it, it hurts the game when there's not a lot of revenue coming in. and The ownership groups start questioning, what are we doing here? Why am I involved in this? Uh, and then you're hoping from a partnership standpoint and from a business side of it, can you get some TV money can, to offset some of that? And right now it's not, we haven't had enough years in, the, in, in you know, in USL League One and everything else. We have, we're on ESPN Plus, which is fantastic and it's a great platform to have. Uh, but the more exposure you get, the better it is. And if you can get local markets on board with the, the television, we started getting some games live here in Greenville. Um, one of the networks, uh, sixty-two, which is fantastic. Um, you start building it, and that's how you you know you you create these relationships. Um, so, hopefully, that continues to move forward even during the pandemic, um, and hopefully, we see some light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic uh, moving forward.
0: Right, right. Now, last one for me, and I know, I know, you got to get going. We have a Tottenham and Liverpool starting up in the uh, in another fifteen <laughs> twenty minutes. <laughs> That's Right, you remember? Yeah, that. of course, of course, we can't, <laughs> we can't forget that. But uh, Liverpool,
1: I, I, Liverpool, just for those listeners, Liverpool.
0: Right. Always
1: since since I was eleven, I don't. Don't, I That's just right. want to make sure people know that I didn't jump on the bandwagon. That's so. right.
0: Well, well, I mean, it, you don't. I don't know if it, right now the way they're playing, you almost don't have to do the disclaimer at this point. Right now, just with the way they're playing, but uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah no. disclaimer. I love <laughs> we'll, it. We'll see. But I did want to. I, I asked it a little earlier, but I, I, I want to kind of get back to it. U.S. with all these players, the U.S. men's national team has playing well in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there one that? Who's your favorite to watch of these players? Because, I mean, whether it's, you know, Gio Reyna, who obviously, you know, Claudio, you know, so well. And now his, you know, maybe he makes you feel old watching Gio play. But but is it Gio? Is it Weston McKinney? Is it, you know, Pulisic? Who's the American star right now, U.S. National Team player that you you kind of, you know, enjoy watching the most?
1: Intrigued and, and always will have my eyes on a Gio Reyna because of my close relationship with Claudio and knowing Claudio as a player and, and the family Danielle and their family and um, you know the very sad loss that they had in their family in the difficult times and then seeing you know one of Claudio and Danielle's sons do well you're always you want to championship that cause you want to champion that cause without a doubt I think it's fantastic what he's doing he's a quality player very smart technically gifted and uh, I love watching him play to be honest and um, you know look I mean, there's players that that you watch and you want to pick up and see and then you see them where they make mistakes and they're young and they're allowed to do that and if they're in a system that allows them to learn from those mistakes then they're going to become even better in the years to come. But I look back in the game and I see how much it's come, you know, of the players that from day one of when I stepped in the Premier League back in 91, 92 season when it became the Premier League um, all the way through and Guys like Brian McBride that were going over and, and Clint Dempsey and, you know, excelling at, at clubs like like Fulham and standing out and, um, you know, a Pulisic and a Weston McKinney and these guys. I love watching them all play because at the end of the day, they have a, uh, it's more like a, a bigger responsibility to the game, to grow the game as an American player. And that's what we always took on with the accountability. of Like, can we get back to the world stage in 1989 and 90 and qualifying under Bob Gansler, which was tremendous leadership from a manager there and a vision from him to actually set up players to be in 94 as well. So you always want to see that end of it. How are we continue to grow? Our, what's, what's the expectations? And can we keep them realistic? Because sometimes when we, we, we look at a player or two, and just because, or even like a Jordan Morris, who's now going over on loan, um, you know, overseas to Swansea, which is another big move because, you know, you want to see players challenge themselves in different environments and different arenas. Um, and uh, I think that's fantastic. It's great for learning, it's great for the growth of the game. And, you know, you, you look at Jesse Marsh and a player that I play with at BC United and know extremely well. And he and I have become very close now that he's managing at a high level. And I'm always learning from Jesse. You pick little things, you have discussions or you have debates about things and that's the fun part of it. So look, we're we're in a good, good, uh, good place right now, I think from a U.S. standpoint and hopefully it continues to get better and we can qualify and do well.
0: How important is it to have coaches go over there as well? Coaches like Jesse and even a Pellegrino Matarazzo, a Jersey, another Jersey boy, by the way. The Jersey who, uh, guy, yeah, uh, that's right. He's you know, in the Bundesliga now. How important is it that?
1: Is this... and, and he went under the radar, too. Yep. Well, not a lot of people knew that. Um, I think it's really important because it gives respect to the game, but it also gives, um, I think, uh, an openness. You know, like people were closed off to it before. First, they were closed off to players when I first went over then they started accepting, well, American players can actually do it, um, at this level. And now it's managers. So I think it's brilliant, you know, and people talk about, Oh, Bob Bradley went over and didn't do well. Well, I'm like, at least he took the chance. He took the risk and he tried, you know, it's like, that's part of it. And what Jesse's doing, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I give him so much credit, you know, for the work that he has put in, um, you know, the, the, the way that he has grown in the game and he's, He's just such a great guy. He's, he's very honest about his growth and what he's going through. So we can always learn from it. You know, you're always learning from others. But I think it's important, the managers that go over there that are U.S. managers, to get opportunities. Yeah, look, heck, I, maybe one day I get challenged and get over there and I get an opportunity. I got a lot of work to do still. Um, but you just, consistency is the answer. got to stay, stay in line and uh, hopefully those chances come.
0: Right, right. Well, definitely uh, appreciate the time for sure and uh, you know, good luck this season when it begins and uh maybe you can add a add another trophy to the trophy case cuz you did get you did ha- you do have that did, did they get you the trophy yet for last season? You ha- is it in yes. your possession? Yes, We
1: we got it right away actually. We oh. the trophy was in town and we were able to celebrate that night at our stadium and we did a um, you know, I did an inter-squad game. Uh, which was fun, and we entertained, and there was fans that came out. It was a great occasion, and uh, our owner and our president, you know, Chris Lewis, they were all very happy about what we did. We made it a fun night, and we celebrated with the trophy. So, yeah, we we want to hold on to that. Uh, we are we're trying to lead the team in the best way going into year three. You know, we're we're winning on and off the field, which is important, and uh, you know, we're looking forward to a big challenge because it's going really to be harder to uh, defend the title. Uh, this year it's going to be very difficult.
0: You have to give North Carolina FC a nice welcome to the league. By the way, now the little rivalry, hour and a half drive away—that that should that should add some spice to things.
1: I think so. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's exciting to think about that. We played um, them in preseason last year. Um, we were able to get a great result. We got the win and um, and challenge us and, and test us a little bit. Um, I'm very close to Dave Sarakin, as you know, and he stepped down from that um, that situation right now, but. The rivalry, yeah. I think the more teams, like we we played against Charleston Battery in preseason. Um, great result against them. North Carolina FC, Charlotte with Mike Jeffries, another great coach um, who has so much experience that I'm always trying to pick his brain and learn from every day. So these guys all close by, I mean, great clubs and, and good coaches. And so, yeah, personal development for me, it's been fantastic just to be around these guys. So. The more rivalries the better let's keep it going
0: that's right that's right we'll definitely appreciate the time and hopefully your liverpool can uh, can stop the slide and get that w and uh, i'll i'll definitely uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely call man, it. i hope so i hope so right right All
1: trying right. times right now but yes. you know hey there's always light there's always light in the tunnel. they and, can do it
0: and it's easier when you already have a, a, tr- a premier league trophy in the trophy case now it's not a a newer one not a 30 year old one so
1: that's, That's, right. That's right. That's All right. That's right. That's right.
0: Well, appreciate the time. More challenges ahead. Well,
1: thanks so much, man. Great to talk to you. Great to connect as always and I look forward to catching up again soon.
0: John Harkes obviously uh just just such an important person in in the in the history of American soccer, former US MNT captain. And an interesting he's an interesting person in in the sense that you just you know you want to see how his evolution continues as a coach um, obviously he when he first uh, w- got into coaching he was in, serving as an assistant in MLS and you know he was at FC Cincinnati and things things got a little messy there and he ended up leaving FC Cincinnati before they got to MLS and that that was a bit of a setback in terms of him getting to MLS potentially as a head coach and obviously he's rebounded now and he's in at in Greenville at with, with Greenfield the Greenville triumph and he wins a championship. Uh, this past season, and and you love to see that, and hopefully he, you know, eventually, uh, as he continues to help build that that program there, and and kind of rebuild it through, you know, post pandemic, uh, you like to hope that he gets an opportunity uh, continuing to move up the ladder. Although it sounds like maybe you know what he can be another coach that goes to Europe. And tries to tries the European adventure and, and and tries to test himself across the pond. And he did it as a player. Uh, he's actually one of the real pioneers in terms of Americans who went over to Europe and succeeded. He obviously you know had had some great time in England. Uh, really kind of as one of the early successes among Americans that went over to Europe and, and it's just, it, it, it's almost, it, it's unfortunate that that this new generation of American soccer fan that's so new to the game is just so oblivious to someone like John Harkes because it's funny because now it's like, oh, Christian Pulisic really, bla- you know, he blazed the trail and look, in, in his own ways, yes, Christian Pulisic did blaze some trails in Europe with, with, you know playing at such an extremely high level but when you want to talk about early early days blazing trails i mean even before uh Brad Friedel even before Tim Howard uh even before them there was John Harkes i mean think about this john harkes was at west ham united when frank lampard was in his first year as a pro john harkes was there john harkes was his teammate so that just shows you how far back it goes and how far back how early early on in all of this he, John Harkes was there blazing the trail. So uh, great to absolutely great to have him on and hopefully we can get him on again. And hey, listen, the next generation of Harks, Ian Harks is playing in Scotland and you know, he's he's had a you know, he's had his 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 moments, call ups with the US Men's National team before. And hopefully, you know, Ian Harks can continue to to build on on his career and uh, you know we'll start hearing more and more about Ian Harks as well as John Harks. But definitely thank you to John Harks for joining us. And now moving on to the U.S. men's national team, they take on Trinidad and Tobago on Sunday in Orlando. Uh, We talked about it last episode as far as projected lineups, but I did want to talk about uh, two topics I wanted to talk about in this episode regarding the U.S. national team. Number one, Josie Altador, right? He's such a polarizing figure that there, there's obviously a, a segment of the fan base that just can't stand him. They they want to be done with him, get him out of here. We you know you don't need him anymore. He's too old. He's ineffective. There's young players. Give the young players the chance. Yada yada. We get it. And um, it was interesting to hear Altidore. Or to read Altidore's thoughts, uh, he he did an interview with uh, Sports Illustrated and Brian Strauss, and, and he did touch on some topics, just as far as him wanting to still be a part of the th- of of the national team, and and you know he's not going anywhere, right? He's ready, he's ready to keep fighting, he's ready to keep holding on to that starting striker role, and uh, I I just wanted to touch on on just you know he brings he as much as some people don't think he you know he's effective on the field, I, I would argue that I think he gives you. Great hold up play. He great combination play. He can he can hit a free kick. He he can still produce goals. Uh, but above that, he's also a very good teammate. And all I ever have heard over the years is what a good teammate he is in terms of uh, bringing along the younger players. And and you know he you have you have some players who are definitely very competitive and they won't necessarily interact or they won't necessarily uh, be friendly with players who are there to take their job and players who are the next generation. But Josie Altador absolutely has always embraced that. He's always embraced his his teammates, no matter who they are, even if they're competing against him. And I'm sure that there is some carryover uh, from when he was the kid who came in, when he was the teenager getting the call up, and he he you know was treated well. He was tre- he was given. Uh, he was given support, and now he's on the other end of that. Now he's the veteran, and he's give, he's the one who supports his teammates. He's the one that will, will reach out and, and text or call uh, someone when they've had a good game. It's just easy to kind of point to things that are – for whatever reason, if things that, that that have disappointed U.S. fans, whether it's obviously the blame that he's gotten for, for the U.S. not qualifying for the World Cup, as unfair as it is to blame him and single him out, and just, you know, whether it's been the injuries and in, in, in tournaments that he's had that, that have kept him from really, you know, having an even bigger legacy that he's had. But for me, he still brings so much to the table. And... Just listening this this week, I had a chance to, to ask Daryl Dike. I asked Daryl Dike about working with Josie Altidore. Now, J- Daryl Dike, he's kind of, he, you know, he's a, an example of that next generation, right? He is that super exciting young striker prospect, right? He's 21 years old. Uh, he showed so much promise in his first professional season. Bright future ahead of him. And you could argue, yes, could he be one of these strikers who really challenges for the throne? And what does Josie Altidore do? He takes this kid. And puts his arm around him and embraces him, shows him the ropes, shows him what he knows. You know that's real. You can't fake that. And when you listen to Daryl DK, you understand that just what Jose Alturor brings to the table. It's truly, a, it's truly a blessing being able to work with someone like him. Obviously, um, phenomenal career, tons of, tons and tons of experience, and it's great because uh, him and I, you know, we play similarly. So he always has tips. He always takes time out of his training session or out of his day to go and tell me, Hey, I think you can try this or he's always giving advice. He can critique me sometimes. And I think it's really good to have someone like that. Who's been through it all to be there to give you advice at all time. And they're, they're trying their hardest to, you know, make sure that you're successful because they, uh, they have confidence in you. And it, it definitely is someone that I've gotten, uh, grown a good relationship since I've been here because it's, it's great. I I think it's good to have someone under like a uh, watching over you as you're, you know, growing as a player. So listen, when you hear Daryl DK talk about Jose Altador, you you hear it. You understand the appreciation. You understand the respect that he's ha- that he has for for Altador and that the respect that Altador has earned. Uh, and it's great to see, and you need that. You That's why you need veterans, but you need good veterans. You need veterans who not only can contribute on the field, but who can be that glue in the locker room, and Josie altodor is very much that, um, but it's not something that he's out there publicly. You don't hear him. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not out here you know, being out in public about it, but when it comes to in, in the locker room and with his teammates, he absolutely is a very, very, very good locker room guy and a very good teammate, as you can hear listening to D.K. talk about Josie altodor now another thing I did want to touch on, as far as uh, the national team and this upcoming match and the year as a whole, uh, is the the evolution of the Greg Berhalter's system. And we all know when he started, there, there, there was so much talk about possession and uh, and about his 4-3-3 system, uh, and it, the, the emphasis there wasn't a much there wasn't much emphasis early on as far as as far as pressuring and defensive pressure and high press. Um, there was very much about possession and keeping the ball, and and now you're seeing a bit of an evolution in that it is pretty clear. Berhalter has learned some lessons from, from some of the matches uh, in his early tenure and some of the losses and some of the performances where it was pretty clear something was missing and something needed to be tweaked and added and changed and the recipe needed to be adjusted. And in listening to some of the players now in the current camp you understand that there is an evolution taking place there is tweaking there will be changes uh to the recipe so that it, the US men's national team is a more complete team and playing in a style that can compete with different levels of opponent and it's all well and good to to dominate you know lower level concacaf competition uh with your possession and your and your uh you know knocking the ball around I don't want to say tiki-taka, but you know you don't. You know you're going to be able to do that. But when you play the tougher opponents, when you play the Mexicos, when you play the, uh, you know the Uruguay's or the or you know Colombia or Argentina or Brazil, you know you you're gonna be you're not gonna have the ball all the time. You're gonna to need to be able to pressure opponents. And when you listen to players like Christian Roldan and Walker Zimmerman talk about how how This camp is going and how the year is looking, how the year ahead could look with the changes that are in, are being implemented. You understand that there is an evolution taking place. What you're seeing this year, um, or we'll see a lot more this year, is our ability to to high press and be really aggressive from a pressing front. And I don't think we did that quite as much in the the early games under Greg. Um, But I think he sees kind of the player profiles that we have and the tenacity and the energy and the youth that um, we can bring with um, a little bit more press. So that's something to definitely look forward to uh, when you're watching the game and uh, something that we as players have kind of taken ownership of is we're going to be a team that hunts the ball, we're going to win it back, and we're going to try and create goal-scoring opportunities from that pressure.
2: With uh, Coach Greg, you know, wanting to change a little bit Uh, I think that's that's great. I think coaches need to 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 analyze, learn, adjust and uh, and and be willing to implement different styles. And I think when you're at the international level, it's really difficult to get the ball uh, because you're playing against the best of the best. And I think that if you can have a really good pressing setup uh, and you can get the ball quick, uh, you know, I think I think we'll be more dangerous in front of goal. Uh, So. I think that's credit to, to coach and and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, But it is, it is difficult. You know, we, we found, we found it very difficult to get the ball against Chile uh, and, and and Mexico at times. But I think that's something that uh, I'm looking forward to to doing because, you know, for me, uh, my best quality is is having a a engine and being able to, to run for 90 minutes. Um, So I'm excited about
0: that. And that was Walker Zimmerman and Christian Roldan uh, talking about the the U.S. Uh, system and style and setup. And you know, when I hear it, when I hear that, I mean, I, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited to see how that uh, how that looks. Not only on Sunday, because again, look, this is not the A team. This is not the full squad, the full U.S. national team squad. But when we when we see that full team in March, or closer to the full team in March, when you see when you have McKinney. When you have Adams, when you have Pulisic, when you have Reyna, when you have, you know, Sergino Dest, Yunus Musa, I want to see that group playing with this evolved style, with this combination of possession with pressing. Um, So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and it's great to see that Greg Berhalter is evolving as a coach, that he is not going to be just stuck in his ways and that he is going to understand that, yes, I need to evolve, that I need to adapt my style to my squad, my style to my personnel. And if I have this very young and energetic and dynamic group of players and these midfielders who have this ability to press, these these midfielders who have who have who can terrorize opposing mid uh, opponent opposing midfields with their pressure, with players like McKinney, like Adams, like Musa. Um, I need to take advantage of that. So that it's good to see him evolving in that in that way. And and no one should be surprised. I mean, I you know, I, he, he's a. Greg Berhalter is an intellectual guy, and I don't think he was going to necessarily just get stuck in his ways. I mean, he understands you have to, it's it, the, the old saying, adapt or die, and I believe the U.S. is adapting, and Berhalter is adapting, and that's great to hear. And as we wrap up the show, we do want to touch on MLS a little bit. There's that, there's not a ton I want to get into MLS wise. Uh, one report: Matias Almeida. In the frame for the Chile national team job, Uh, it hasn't been announced yet. It's not official yet, but there are a lot of reports coming out of South America linking the San Jose Earthquakes head coach to the Chile national team job. And that's an interesting one because uh, you can understand – You can understand Almeida taking that opportunity to coach in a World Cup potentially. Uh, And also, if with MLS and the uncertainty about the upcoming season, and I can understand Almeida's frustrations with San Jose and and feeling like, can I really compete? Uh, We don't really spend like these other teams. Like, you know, I really tried this project, but maybe it's time to move on. On one hand, it's a little surprising because he hasn't left that job. For some of the clear opportunities he's had in Mexico recently, there's definitely been uh, some coaching jobs in Mexico that he was linked with, and that seemed like would be good opportunities for him to to leave San Jose, but he hasn't yet. And now there's this Chile opportunity, and and if he leaves, I mean, if it, you know, all power, all credit to him. If he leaves, that's a, that's a great opportunity. But San Jose is going to be in a world of hurt if if Almeida leaves, because I don't see them. Finding a coach anywhere near as good as him. And I know you'll say, well, hey, they found Almeida. Why can't they find someone like Almeida? I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'm not, I am not. I feel like they got lucky with Almeida. And I don't know if they're going to be able to go that well again. Could they go get a Miguel Herrera who is just doing TV work now because all, all the premium jobs in Mexico are, are filled and he's kind of biding his time? Could Almeida be the guy? I mean, not Almeida. Could uh, Miguel Herrera be the guy? Possible. Um, but I, I am very curious to see what Jesse Fiorinelli does if Almeida leaves because I've, I've, I'm have i on record for a long time now saying I, I think Jesse Fiorinelli has done a terrible job running the San Jose Earthquake since he took the job. The only redeeming thing about his entire tenure is the fact that he was able to land Matias Almeida, right? So he's had Almeida. He hasn't really done much with having Almeida. Almeida did turn things around, and they they had a nice little finish to their season this year. But it's been a lot of disappointment since he's been there. Um, So for me, if they lose Almeida and they can't go get a quality replacement, I mean, I think San Jose is going to be in for a rough year. And it might be finally time for the Earthquakes ownership to say, you know what? Maybe we just have the wrong guy running the whole thing, which is what I've been saying for a while now. But maybe that will be what finally turns turns the tide is if they lose Almeida and even if they don't lose Almeida I'm not convinced they that they will be a serious contender even with Almeida and I like Almeida as a coach I think he's a very good coach but I just think he's like it's he's limited in terms of what he can do with that team so we'll we'll see I'm curious to see if San Jose I think that's a I think that's a team with so much potential but I just think it's run poorly I just I think they need a change in their front office but if Almeida leaves that I think that could end up uh, expediting a real overhaul in that front office. Now, last certainly, last but certainly not least, but very down on the list for me, the MLS labor strife. Uh, you know, the players' union and the owners uh, have been back and forth with their negotiations, uh, negotiating in the press, and 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 you're you're seeing all the all the little tidbits uh, coming out uh, regarding uh, the back and forth, and players. You know, they're giving their concessions; they're waiting on the owners to to, to budge. Uh, and to give have the owners also kind of give some concessions so they can get closer to a deal. And as we stand here Friday at 1, 10 p.m. Eastern time, as I record this, it doesn't sound like we're really any closer to a deal, even after the players uh, gave gave several new concessions in their latest in their latest offer. And the only thing I'll say about this about the whole labor thing, and this is I want to say my fifth uh, my fifth or sixth time in in this just. Passing through this whole uh, CBA labor negotiations process, covering MLS, and I've been—I've you know—I've been covering MLS since 1999, and it feels like it's always the same script. It's always the same scenarios of how the negotiations go. Where one minute the owners are threatening not to budge, the players give some concessions. Then there's some back and forth, and then at some point the owners do not budge anymore in the players cave the or the players end up you know falling short of what they would have hoped to get and it seems like the the owners are undefeated in this game really the under the owners uh i mean at the end of the day you're talking about billionaires, right? So these, these owners did not make their billions, not being good at negotiating, not being good at running businesses. And not, and again, I'm not saying you should root for the owners. I mean, if, if, if there's a bad guy in this whole thing, you're going to say the billionaires are the bad guys, right? Um, But they're just, look, they're businessmen. They're trying to make sure they get the best deal they can. And invariably, and and, in a, they've run the table. They run the table on these negotiations over the years. I can't think of a single CBA negotiation. Where the, where, the, where the players came away not looking like they lost. Like for me, for my money, I feel like they've lost. And there's been some where they lost bad. They lost bad. They didn't get anything or they didn't get much at all. Um, the last CBA, the last go round, they they got some decent concessions. Obviously, free agency finally became a thing, which was so long in arriving in MLS, and finally it's it's a it's here in its own in its own kind of form. As much as it, even that is limited because sure you can move to all the teams you want, but you're limited in what you can make. Uh, so is it true free agency? So yeah, there's still limits. The owners the the owners know what they're doing, right? So for me. Uh, I'm not getting too caught up in the back and forth, in the minutia, in the minute to minute of this whole process because it always seems to play out the same way. Now, obviously, things are different because of the pandemic and because the owners are feeling much more of a financial burden, much more of a, finan- of a pe- financial pinch. And pinch feels like such an inadequate word to describe the, w- what's going on right now with the financial impact of the pandemic on on MLS but uh I, I you know what i it, i still say it would shock me if a deal doesn't get done just because i've seen it, it you know what like the, it, the analogy that comes to mind it's like it's like the Friday to the 13th movies right they're always scary but you always know how they're gonna end you always know the bad, you know the, the the bad guy the, the killer is gonna get killed in the end or it's going it's the same ending it's the same script the same beginning same the middle same ending i feel like that this time around i could be wrong Maybe this time around, because of the pandemic, the owners are they they're they're stingier than they normally are, and this this leads to a lockout, leads to an impasse. I would not bet on it, but obviously, this is we're in unique times now. This is unprecedented with the pandemic and the impact it's having on the business side of things. So you can't take anything for granted and assume that we'll see the same thing happen again. But I've seen it so many times before that I just feel like. At the end of the day, the owners and the players will find a deal, and it'll be a deal that the players probably are not going to be super happy about, but they will have avoided disaster. Right? So we'll see. We'll see if we'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully they can work it out, and hopefully we we have a season, and hopefully it starts in April because April already feels late. But uh, you know what? I'll take April at this point. April beats no season, and April beats not starting till June or or, or what have you. Because That would be pretty disastrous. So hopefully we get it it worked out and the MLS season can kick off. And if not, then let all the top players go to Europe. So they can at least keep playing, and uh, you can save money that way. But uh, that's all for now. We uh, it's going to be a good weekend. You got Josh Sargent against Matthew Hoppe in the Premier League. You have Jordan Morris potentially making his Swansea debut finally, and then we have Arsenal Manchester United, which is definitely the game of the weekend to watch. And no, there are no Americans involved in that, but still, it's a great game. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But that is it for me. I think I think uh, you know we've covered everything that we wanted to talk about. And I was hoping to keep this show kind of short because I know my interview with John Harks was super long, but uh, clearly, you know, I don't know how to do a short show. So one of these days, I'll keep this to under an hour or to an hour. This one's looking like an hour 20, hour 30. Apologies for that. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully it wasn't too boring Uh, and hopefully it was somewhat insightful and, and informative. We will have some new guests next week. Uh, I'm working on those. I'm trying to have two guests per episode, but at the very least we can get one, one guest and then have it be a media interview like we had with my man, John Harks. Um, so I definitely want to thank John Harks for joining us, uh, giving us his insight and, um, And I think that's it. And you know what? We'll see who we have next week. We'll talk. We'll probably talk Hall of Fame next week because the Hall of Fame voting process is underway. I'm involved in that. Um, And hopefully uh, there's a, you know, we can get into the candidates for that. And we'll talk about the U.S. Trinidad and Tobago game, the the U.S. men's national team on Sunday. Uh, We'll talk about that first game of 2021. And we'll talk about these transfers that are in the works and hopefully are completed by the time we have our next episode. So that's all for now. If uh, if you have any questions or comments, let me know on Twitter. Uh, let me know in the comments on SBI. And make sure you're reading SBI, by the way, sbisoccer.com for all your American soccer news. But you can find me on Twitter. You can uh, you can check us out on Instagram. And I'm also on Clubhouse now. So if you're on Clubhouse uh, feel free to, to, to drop me a line or you know invite me to a ro- one of the rooms if there's a discussion. I would do, as I get more comfortable on Clubhouse, I will try to start having some American soccer discussion rooms and chats in there. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the Clubhouse experience. It was a little bit of a slow one at first, but I'm starting to fi- find that kind of zone and that vibe on Clubhouse. It's a, it's a pretty cool app. Um, I know it's invitation only, but uh, if you get in there, let me know. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Kolarsep, this is The SBI Show.